All right, we are back. As promised, the top of the show, we're going to discuss a rather um, a momentous movie, perhaps, coming out uh, tomorrow, The Manchurian Candidate. The original, of course, is considered by many to be Frank Sinatra's finest role in the cinema. It's an eerie, uh, haunting movie. If anyone's ever seen it, I recommend that you, you go out and grab it if you haven't. I don't know how this remake is going to be. But uh, we wanted to talk to some people about a curious fact, that this is not all fiction, this idea of uh, programming someone to be a killer. Uh, Richard Condon wrote The Manchurian Candidate based on uh, supposed brainwashing in the Korean War, and we've discovered since then that an awful lot of people were giving an awful lot of thought to how you'd program a killer. Joining us to talk about that fact is someone who uh, did some investigative journalism into these things and others, Jim DiGenio. Welcome back to the program, Jim. Nice to be back, Doug. You and Lisa Pease edited Probe Magazine for years. You did numerous stories related to things like the Manchurian Candidate. Well, yeah. We, uh, actually, we did a, a lot of research into the factual basis for the novel. Okay, And, and the novel definitely did have a, a definite factual basis. And in fact, the author was reported to have secret ties to the British intelligence network. And this is where he actually picked up the idea, okay, of, of putting together this, this, fact, this fictional, but based upon fact, story about a hypno-programmed, delayed suggestion kind of assassin. Well, Condon, he wrote a hell of a book. I finally got around to reading it a, a couple months ago, and I was, I was, it's as good as the movie. It's a great book. What do you know about Condon? He wrote screenplays. Right. Condon uh, had a very long and interesting career as a, uh, as a political writer. Several of his novels, not just The Manchurian Candidate, were based upon you know, controversial uh, political ideas, like Winter Kills, in which he, he wrote about political assassinations in the United States, yeah. loosely based on the JFK case. And Condon's uh, stuff is, is stuff that, although it's fiction, you know, it's very, very clear that it's based upon stuff that he knew yeah. and th th for fact and built upon uh, a fictional edifice that had a takeoff in reality. The Manchurian Candidate, uh, when it came out, uh, was dismissed as a kind of a thriller, uh, a nothing but a fictional political thriller. Right. Okay. And, but that's because Condon was way ahead of the game, and he had, he had sources who had told him about how the Central Intelligence Agency and British intelligence had experimented with this stuff. And I think the novel came out in 1959. Correct. Okay, as, as early as the late 1950s, which turned out to be true. Yeah. It, it was actually true that the CIA had experimented with, with taking control of a person's mind, and these experiments went back to the early 1950s. Let's talk about that. It's a program called, I guess, MK Ultra was the one that was that we know about now. Right, MK Ultra was the umbrella name, became the umbrella name for all the individual projects uh, that were designed to go ahead and perfect the search for the Manchurian candidate. Okay. okay? And by the way, there's a book by Richard Marks that borrowed from that title called "The Search for the Manchurian Candidate," which traces all these programs that the CIA had delved into. I, I'm curious about the fact that 
Condon apparently was a publicist who worked for the Walt Disney Company, according to this little my quick thumb, thumb, uh, thumbing through the um, the intro here. He promoted Dumbo and Fantasia back in the 1930s for Disney. Yeah, he had, he had a long and varied career, you know, in in what could be loosely called the the, the writing trade. But he really hit his stride when he started writing these books, okay? And that's how he became famous and, and quite wealthy. Well, uh, the book came out in 59. Apparently, John Kennedy himself read it, thought it was a whale of a good read, and was excited to hear that his buddy Frank Sinatra was going to be a starring in it. Right. And, and, the, and the movie's actually a fairly decent picture. Uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, Lawrence Harvey plays a hypno-programmed assassin. You know, Janet Leigh plays a girlfriend. Angel Lansbury steals the picture right. as Lawrence she, Harvey's she's mother. She's very good. Okay, right. Yeah. You know, and it was built as a kind of right-wing plot uh, to take over the government. And I understand the movie has been changed in several to, several ways to update the story. Right, because it's a long. The Korean War is a long way in the past. Right. I guess they right. set it now in the Middle East. They set it in Gulf War One. Okay. Have you heard anything about any buzz about the, the actual film with Denzel Washington, Meryl Streep? Oh, I talked to the writer. Oh. I talked to the screenwriter. Well, well do tell. Yeah, Daniel Pine, who, okay. who worked with Oliver Stone on any given Sunday. Okay. Okay, and, and, and he, he, he basically told me that although he referred to some of the MK Ultra uh, interest in it, yeah. okay, he basically concentrated on the relationship uh, between the, the hypno program, which, by the way, this time around, is played by a young actor named Lev Schreiber. Okay. And the mother named Meryl Streep. Yeah. Okay. And they updated the way he was hypnoprogrammed also. Okay. Yeah. And the original book, it's basically the hypnosis and, and, and the drug and the mind control stuff. And a lot, lot, of, lot of Freudian stuff thrown in there too. Now, in, in the update, they did it, of course, with the new stuff that the CIA developed years later, which was basically you know, placing electrodes in your brain and activating certain regions of the brain, mm-hmm. okay? And, and there's little doubt the CIA did go into this because there's been some literature about it that's been published intermittently, okay, in the last 15 or 20 years. And in fact, at the end of Richard Mark's book, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, it's really funny when you read it. He thinks he's written a definitive book on the CIA's mind control programs, right? But okay. then when you read the bibliographic essay at the end, okay, uh-huh. he admits that when I finished the book, I discovered that the CIA had 18 more boxes <laughs> on MKUltra that they didn't tell me about, uh-huh. okay, that I didn't get to see. So this book is incomplete, okay? Right. <laughs> of course, I could have told him that. You could have well, told him that, right? Well, from all, <laughs> yeah, from, from experience, to trying with FOIA and things like that. Right, of course. Right. Well, what's curious is that in, in, the, in the book, although we know that the Central Intelligence Agency and presumably other Western intelligence agencies, and, and we would assume everyone out there in the intelligence field was interested in this idea of programming people and how to program and deprogram, that the book uh, has the Koreans doing it with help from the Chinese. It actually takes place in Korea. It's done by the Chinese and the Soviets. Right. The, the, the Russian communists. Right. And, uh, and yet, we don't know much about what they were up to, but we, we now know at least some of what, what we were up to. Right. 
And and there seems to be more similarities than differences between this hypothetical that Condon uh, portrays in the original Manchurian Candidate and what we know, what you're describing from MK Ultra. Right. To give you an example, the program began in, I think, 1952 or 53. And it was, it was commissioned by Alan Dulles, okay, uh, the, head, the head of the CIA, and it was given to his protege, Richard Helms, to supervise, who later became director. Yes. It was considered so explosive that during the church committee days, when they found out about MKUltra, Helms destroyed 10,000 pages of documents personally by burning them in his fireplace. Wow. So the church committee could not find out specific things about how far they had actually gone. Right. Okay? Uh, because in, in his book, John Marks, he interviewed some of the psychiatrists that the CIA had recruited. All right? And one of the most famous quotes from that book is when he interviews one of the psychiatrists and he says, it would take me three months to program a hypno program to uh, Patsy. It would take me six months to actually do the assassin. Okay, so if you understand what he's, what he's talking about there, they're actually talking about hypnoprogramming both a Patsy to take the rap and the actual assassin to do the job. Wow. And of course, the, the advantage to this, the great advantage that the CIA, and they actually talk about this in the documents, uh-huh. is that there is no way it can be exposed because the memories are designed to be erased. So even if you catch the guy, you can't get anything out of him. We're headed in a particular direction with this that, I, that, I'm, that I'm keen to go in. I, I, as we're talking, I'm holding in, in my hands a Smithsonian article on hypnosis, Scientific American article on hypnosis. Certainly hypnosis has been used for a long time uh, by, by various therapists, and it's, it's able to accomplish a great deal. It still remains somewhat, somewhat mysterious to people. But presumably, people have spent a lot of time and effort into making it work for some nefarious purposes. This, it's often said that a person under hypnosis will never do anything he wouldn't do normally, and, and I, uh, it's my understanding, I'm sure yours is as well, that's not really true. No, it is, it's, it's a myth. The, the, by the way, uh, the art of hypnosis goes back to the late uh, 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s. A- Anton Mesmer. Right, and that's where you get the word mesmerized. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. he's usually given the credit for being the father of modern hypnosis. Now, over the years, uh, it was it, it's if you ask me, it went from an art to almost a near science, where you have people like Spiegel, the famous doctor from New York, who's who's a terrific uh, technician, and and they devised a system where they could measure the culpability, rather susceptibility, of a patient. And it went from one to five. And number five being the ideal candidate for hypnotic experiment, meaning that he was very susceptible to being hypnotized. Right. And by the way, I know a guy in American intelligence who has told me that they've done this themselves. They would, they would hypnotize somebody, send him over behind the Iron Curtain, and hypnoprogram him to memorize details when he was over there. They would bring so that he would be on the lookout subconsciously uh-huh. for certain details of observation. Uh-huh. They would bring him back, put him under, and he would spout out everything that they that that, that he was programmed to, to learn without being conscious that he was hypnoprogrammed to do that. 
That's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, and that's the great advantage. That's why the CIA was so interested, because it was a foolproof way of creating the perfect assassin that even if he got caught, wouldn't be able to tell why he did what he did or who put him up to it. Well, that's a perfect uh, juncture for us to jump into um, uh, 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 why we're talking about this today. I mean, I'm interested in movies, and we talk about movies every so often. But I wanted to devote a whole segment to this issue because uh, last year we had Lawrence Teeter on. Lawrence Teeter is the attorney for Sirhan Sirhan, who uh, on our show last September presented a case for the fact that Sirhan Sirhan might actually be a real-life Manchurian candidate. And when you're talking about programming a patsy and programming an assassin, it certainly uh, uh, gets us right up into that realm. Let's talk about Sirhan Sirhan as a potential uh, hypno-programmed assassin. Well, there's little doubt by anybody who has uh, any professional psychiatrist who's been exposed to Sirhan that Sirhan was a five. In other words, he was a very susceptible candidate for hypno-programming. Yeah, my understanding is that when he was first hypnotized in an effort to recall details, they were startled at how programmable he was. Right. In fact, the, the guy who uh, supervised hypno- hypnotizing of Syrian for the defense, a guy named Bernard Diamond, mm-hmm. wrote that one of the things that Sirhan was immediately interesting about Sirhan is that he had been hypnoprogrammed to do what they called automatic writing. This means that when you're under they'll stick you at a desk with a pen in your hand and you will write out your answer like a robot. Mm -hmm. It will take you like a very long time to write it, okay? And you won't be conscious that you're writing. Diamond said it was very clear once he put Sirhan under that he had been hypnotized before. And not only that, he even said that somebody had put suggestions and trained him in advance to him getting there. It's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, you have all the earmarks that somebody had been playing with Sirhan's mind, okay, prior to the Robert Kennedy assassination. Lawrence Teeter talked to us last year. We talked to, to Bill Turner from the, F, from the FBI, who, who told us, among other things, that the forensics evidence, and actually we spoke to Cyril Wecht about this as well. We, this has come up three times before in our, on our show. The forensics evidence in the Robert Kennedy murder would suggest that although Sirhan was clearly firing a gun at the senator, that uh, the fatal shots came one inch to three inches behind Kennedy, and absolutely none of the 70 witnesses present uh, placed the gun that close. And secondly, Bill Turner took contemporaneous uh, recordings, sound recordings, uh, the three that exist, that, that covered the time interval of the shots, and heard more than eight shots. There's, there's, there's evidence for more than eight bullets. The forensics would, would, would tend to prove that Sirhan could not have been the actual killer. And there's sound evidence that, uh, that, that indicates there's more than one gun. All this is pointing in a direction of something very strange having happened that night. And then when we get into the, uh, the, uh, the hypnosis, the possible hypnosis aspect, it really becomes uh, stranger than fiction. Right. You're, you're exactly correct. And if you ask me, the Robert F. Kennedy case is almost a perfect example of a Manchurian candidate, where you have a hypnoprogram patsy designed to take the rap, but yet you can't get anything out of him because he's been programmed not to remember being programmed. Okay? And when they actually tried to deprogram him, and by the way, by the way, I should add here, 
what, what I'm talking about, deprogramming. Deprogramming has to be done by a professional psychiatrist versed in hypnosis that can break down all the what they call blocks in the brain that are implanted so he doesn't remember. Uh-huh. Okay, you break through those, and then he can remember, and there's a documented case on this. Uh-huh. The famous case that took place in Denmark in the early 50s by Dr. Ryder, who wrote a book about it, who did deprogram a hypnoprogrammed assassin and found out the guy who actually programmed him. And you know what happened in that case? The, the hypnoprogrammed assassin was set free, and they put in jail the guy who programmed him. That's right. I did hear about this. Right. Yes. Okay. Remarkable. So such things have happened. We're going on in a bit of a limb here, but but it's it's fascinating stuff. It is it is in my mind entirely plausible. Robert Kennedy certainly had political enemies, and uh, if someone was going to program Sirhan as a patsy, can you speculate as to who could have done such a thing? Well, if you ask me, uh, there's there's only one organization that had the kind of skill uh, to do this kind of thing as well as they did it, you know, in this particular case. And if you ask me, I think the Central Intelligence Agency, with some help from the Los Angeles Police Department, uh, pulled this one off. That's because the cover-up inside the Los Angeles Police Department was absolutely astounding when, when you examine it. It's actually worse than what happened in Dallas with President Kennedy in 1963. Well, Jim, it's very interesting stuff, and the original Manchurian candidate, this idea of trying to break through, get recovered memory, uh, has uh, has a hell of a performance out of Frank Sinatra, as he, he's obsessed with something he can't quite get, get a grasp of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how well they'll do in this current movie, but uh, we need to maybe keep in mind that, uh, that again, that uh, truth may be stranger than fiction. And, boy, <laughs> this, this subject was actually made to order for that, for that old adage. You know? I, I, I <laughs> so, guess so. so. Let's hope that in the future, somebody actually does do a film about the assassination of Robert Kennedy, and it will turn out to be that the Manchurian candidate paved the way for something even more bizarre, you know, a, a real story that was more bizarre than the fiction. Well, Jim, it's always a pleasure. We're glad you could fill in for Lawrence Teeter. We'll probably try and get Mr. Teeter, Mr. Teeter to come on sometime in August in the wake of this movie, which, uh, which I don't know, is it going to be a blockbuster? Is it going to be a big hit? Well, there's been a lot of uh, a, a lot of publicity about it, especially down here in L.A. Yeah, I don't know about up there, but there's been a lot of publicity about it. All right. Well, I'm going to go see it uh, probably Friday night, and we'll have to we'll, and we'll give a report then. Terrific, Doc. Jim. Jim Giugino, a Los Angeles educator and journalist, a former editor of Probe magazine. I'd refer you also, which people can get on the web, but Probe. I've got in my hand March April 1998 issue, uh, Sirhan and the RFK assassination. I'd recommend anyone who wants to know more about this subject to go and, uh, and pull that up. Okay, thank you, Doug. And let's mention your book, too. Oh, yeah, The Assassinations, Probe Magazine on JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X, which I think you can still get off Amazon.com. And you, have, you, have the, you actually have the chapters on this whole Sirhan right, issue in there. Third, there's a long chapter on the RFK case. All right, we, we highly recommend that to our listeners to go grab one as well. Thank you, Doug. Well, it's, it's all very interesting stuff. Uh, there's certainly a lot of curiosity about what went on back in the, the heyday of the Central Intelligence Agency in the 50s, 60s, maybe even 70s. 
I do want to say of late that uh, they have been the good guys in a lot of this battle over intelligence that's been waging, uh, it's been waged in this country over Iraq, what was known, what was not known, what was, uh, what could have been said about weapons of mass destruction, etc. And, uh, well, it's just funny how things change with time. I'm, uh, I'm glad to see that in this case, the CIA seems to be on the side of, um, you know, John Q. Public. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.